This is your host, Shashank Shekhar, and welcome to another episode of Shashank Redemption. Which now, in retrospect, I do feel like I should have done it earlier. How we make that more human opportunity to build. Look at what they need in order to succeed. Been looking forward to this. Okay, welcome back to another episode of Shashank Redemption. Uh, I have someone uh, who's a special guest on this show, uh, Will Robinson. He is CEO at Encapture, uh, which is a document automation platform. And we'll talk more about Encapture just in a bit. But before that, let's uh, welcome Will to the show. Hey, Shashank. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Sure. Um, and we'll, of course, want to talk more about what you've created in Capture. Uh, but before that, let's let's just talk about the journey leading to uh, this point where you are in the career. Um, tell us a little bit more about what you've done. I know you you were operating partner at Altruist in, in multiple different companies, including JP Morgan and investment banking. So walk us through your journey um, until this point of uh, founding in Capture, which I think what's been almost three and a half years since since you did that. Yep. Yeah. I've been here three years and, and it's been an interesting journey. Um, I like to say I'm a recovering investment banker, but <laughs> I did, I did start my career in the, um, in the finance world. And, um, it was one of those. So I'm originally from, from Dallas and went to school here in Texas. Okay. And, um, after, after school was just saying, Hey, I'm going to get out, um, kind of go do my thing. And so moved to New York and, um, you know, worked in uh, worked in investment banking for a few years, and then I worked for a big private equity firm. And uh, the group I was in invested in software companies and technology companies, and that's really where I fell in love with the software industry. And uh, you know, this was about 10, 12 years ago, and so software as a service or SaaS was really starting to ramp, and uh, felt like it was just a fascinating industry uh full of very interesting people who were building cool things and um you know i have always kind of been a builder type personality and uh you know felt like that was the path i wanted to go in my career was help build a business and so um left left the finance world and uh, had a great experience there but but said hey i want to try to do this on my own and uh Move back to Dallas of all places. It's one of those. It's one of those uh, pools where home is home, and where the people uh, you love live. It's uh, it's a strong it's a strong pullback. So came back to Dallas and uh, and worked. You know, I, I thought, hey, I'm going to go um, start some big amazing company, but I realized I had no no real skills outside of uh, you know some some awesome uh, financial uh, PowerPoint and Excel wizardry. Uh, and, and so I thought, Hey, I need to go learn how to, how to actually, um, run a business and, um, was fortunate to join a company called Dynata, which mm-hmm. is a, a big technology company focused on market research. Uh, they are kind of the survey monkey for, uh, for businesses, kind of enterprise level, um, mm-hmm. uh, survey respondent, um, management and acquisition. So, uh, Spent uh, three years there, got to learn under an incredible CEO um, who allowed me to learn how to build a product, how to sell, how to hire and fire, how to build um, kind of a high growth culture. Mm-hmm. And I uh, was so thankful for that opportunity. And so um, ended up uh, a, a private equity firm came in and acquired that company. 
And I thought, Hey, this was, this was a really fun experience. I, I think I'm ready to go do this. So uh, one thing that, that people assume is that I founded in capture. I actually did not start this company. This company mm-hmm. is 24 years old. Okay. Um, I joined it. Um, uh, I joined three years ago and uh, I partnered with an investment firm to buy out uh, the original founder and CEO, as well as put some additional growth capital into the business. Mm-hmm. And we had kind of a different idea on, on where to take the business. Um, it, it originally, the company started 24 years ago as a, as a professional services partner to um, some automation players in this space, some big legacy automation players. And so we were their partners for many years. And um, over probably 10, 12 years ago, we started developing our own software uh, to fill in some gaps that we had seen in the market. And we would sell our product alongside these big legacy players. And um, they they had had some good initial traction with, with our product and capture. Um, but I felt like we could really um, transition the company to focus more heavily on InCapture and less on our legacy uh, partners and uh, be more of a pure play software company where we're selling and implementing and solutioning off of our own platform versus other people's. So that's a big, long answer for you, Shashank, <laughs> on kind of uh, my journey and and who we are and where we've been, but it's been, uh, it's a journey. And I think that's um, something that, that people need to understand. I um, you know, there's, uh, I love our business. We have a fantastic group of people here and, uh, we've done well, but it's not been this, uh, linear path of point A to point B. It's been, um, you know, a bit circuitous and you have to hold on to things loosely and, uh, go with the flow a bit, but very, very thankful to be working with the people I get to work with here. Sure. And that, um, that reminds me of Tony Shea, actually the, the famous, uh, unfortunately, uh, he passed away last year, but he did something similar with Zappos. Uh, he wasn't the founder as most people thought Zappos was. Uh, he actually invested in Zappos and then then became a CEO later on. And we all know, uh, I mean, we could safely say the rest is history. Zappos went on to become uh, one of the best customer service companies in the country, uh, acquired by Amazon eventually for, I think, $1.6 billion. So, uh, similar stories, Zappos wasn't probably in existence for, for a couple of decades back then, but it seems that's what you did. And and what's really uh, interesting from that story, Bill, is that you really invested time into investment banking, then worked for Dynata, which, which you mentioned really helped you kind of sharpen your skills. You practically ran a business, so to say, uh, because you were hiring, firing. You were doing things that, say, a future CEO will have to. So you were kind of getting ready for that that big role. Um, and I mean, private equity, if, if they bought it, I'm sure you went through that experience to see what private equity companies look for uh, when they are acquiring companies. So that's that's really solidifies and, and kind of makes your uh, experience at a point where you were ready to become uh, what you have become here. So talk to us a little bit about that, because that's something that even as founders, uh, that's something sometimes you become founder a little too early um, or or even if you are a founder, sometimes you become CEO a little too early. Instead of, say, getting someone from outside, you would think that you are the one who founded the company and you should be the CEO. And I know that you did not really start in Capture, but what do you think of something like that? I mean, a founder becoming a CEO, um, should they be working on the skills like you worked with, say, Dynata? 
Uh, and of course, you worked in investment banking. Um, not exactly what you did, but what, what are your thoughts on that, Bill? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, probably anybody. So I'm, you know, I'm in my mid thirties and I think anybody coming in um, that's in the earlier, call it the first half of their career mm-hmm. into a CEO role, um, you know, probably no one's going to have a, a perfect resume necessarily for that or have all the skill sets. So I think it's, I think it's identifying, uh, you know, in your career, what you have done. And I think, you know, Shashank, you brought up a good point, but there is a lot of value and I'm so grateful and thankful for having, you know, several different experiences prior mm-hmm. to being first time CEO here in Encapture. And even coming here from Dynata, uh, you know, the, the group that I ran uh, at Dynata ended up being, um, you know, was much bigger and, and had a larger P&L than even uh, what Encapture had when I first started three years ago. So I felt confident mm-hmm. coming into the mm-hmm. size organization I was coming into. Um, but I also was, I think I had a good, healthy understanding of, uh, you know, my strengths and my weaknesses. Uh, I am like, for example, I am, um, I am not technical. I do not have any sort of um, programming or software development or system architecture training, nor have I had any experience with that in my career. And so uh, uh, while I feel comfortable uh, in a leadership uh, role or in a strategic role or in a people management role, uh, the technical side of, of our business and heck we're a software company. So that's like what we do. Um, I, I have to rely upon and really trust, um, you know, my CTO and my product team, uh, to make good long-term decisions for us. And so, uh, that's one thing I encourage other folks is, is it's great to go get experience. Um, and you don't need to be 22 with some great idea and, you know, found something in college, um, you know, like, like a Facebook story, that's, mm-hmm. that's the exception, not the rule. Yes. So, you know, take the experience you do have and, and understand where you don't have much experience and make sure you can find really good people around you to help support you in that. Yeah, you're right. We look at exceptions and sometimes we think that that's, that's a rule because that's what gets highlighted in media. Those are people who are made like heroes. And, and we think that, uh, we think that, everybody should work like that i i remember i was in i was in business school and i wanted always wanted to start a company of my own i wanted to be an entrepreneur but then i went and worked for general electric which we all know has a couple hundred thousand employees and then went and worked for a startup where i was employee number 2 so i worked for a very large size company and then i worked for a very very small company uh, both for about 4 years each before I thought I was ready to to start my own company and then eventually become the CEO. So, and I'm not saying, I mean, this is a templated answer that works for everyone, but just just perspectives that Will and I bring, uh, I guess, to uh, to the table. If if you are a startup founder, so to say, and thinking if if you will be a good CEO or not, um, let's let's uh, talk about and capture Will is because I mean I have I have looked at. I've done some research and seems you guys are doing extremely interesting stuff. And I, um, I, it's, it's interesting that you don't uh, specifically have uh, say a very deep tech experience and not probably have not worked on SaaS platforms before. Uh, very similar to me. I have, I, I'm not a software engineer, but I kind of lead our product is still on a lot of tech initiatives. And so and Capture does machine learning for banks and lenders. That's a very broad statement. Uh, let's dive a little deeper into what exactly 
does the company do now? What are the kind of initiatives um, and maybe some of the industry problems that you're trying to solve? Yeah, I appreciate that. We The little niche in our corner of the software industry is called Intelligent Document Processing or IDP. And really our platform makes it easy for an organization to request and collect incoming documents. And then our machine learning can read those documents and identify what type of document it's looking at and then extract the important data out of that document um, so that people don't have to sit there and manually type in data or do um, kind of stare and compare type work. Um, so that's kind of the broad 30,000 foot view of, of what we do. And uh, we, as you mentioned, most of our work is done in the financial services space. We work with a lot of lenders um, in their loan process. So an, an example I give that most people can understand if you've ever purchased a home and you've applied for a mortgage, mm-hmm. we're working with, with a loan officer and they ask you to submit, you know, a copy of your driver's license, uh, a recent pay stub, the last two years of your tax returns. Uh, if there's a co-borrower, maybe a spouse or partner, you they would have to submit the same. And the bank is collecting a lot of information about you. They're, they're getting a credit report run. They're maybe, uh, depending on where your home is, they're getting HOA documents or uh, flood certifications. There's a lot of rules around what these banks have to collect from you in order to make a determination of, hey, should I give this person a loan? Yeah. Typically, in a very traditional workflow, there are armies of people um, in the bank who sit there all day, every day, and they um, they make sure that the documents come in, they have everything they need, they review the documents themselves, and then they enter this information into a system to, you know, how much, what's somebody's annual income? Um, uh, you know, do we have all the required disclosures signed and notarized properly? Do we, have we kind of checked all the boxes? And so that's typically a very um, uh, manual and time intensive process. We come in and vastly streamline that. I wouldn't say eliminate um, because there's always, uh, you know, unique complexities and issues sure. that a, a lender would have to handle. But 80, 90, 95% of that workflow can be handled through machine learning. And so uh, we help streamline the mortgage, you know, the loan origination process so that uh, a loan can get processed and approved more quickly. Uh, we help on the back end, again, kind of using my same mortgage example. Most folks who bought a home, you realize you, you go sit at the day of closing, you sit at your title company or someone comes to your house maybe and you, you sign like 30 or 40 different documents. Uh, well, as soon as you sign those, the the bank has to then go back and and double check and make sure you signed everything properly. Yeah. Nothing's missing. Uh, certain things are notarized properly. And again, that's a huge compliance burden that these banks have, and it's required by federal regulation for them to do this. Again, very time intensive, very manual. And that's a spot where we can sit there, read through the loan package, and make sure everything was was filled out properly. All the data matches the system going forward. So. Uh, that's a that's kind of a high level what we do. Uh, we do a lot of work in mortgage, but also auto lending, uh, consumer lending for you know a lot of these fintechs that are doing online loans where they want uh, to uh, approve people in a matter of minutes uh, on a loan, kind of a real time loan approval. We help make that process streamlined um, on commercial banking, a lot of the co- the compliance. So we're not just a, a kind of a one kind of a one trick pony, if you will, we're really a platform where any sort of document intensive workflow, we can help 
train machine learning to extract the relevant data, build a workflow around it, and make sure that people don't have to spend time doing these very uh, mundane tasks. And and the more you do it, Will, the, the better your confidence levels would go with these documents because you're just, just because of the volume of data that you're processing. Absolutely. And it's funny, that's a, that's a great um, question and assumption. Yes. The short answer is yes. There's actually a few different techniques <laughs> on that front. This is where I will start visiting uh, or start, start visiting with you as if I know a lot more than I probably do. But um, there are, uh, there are several different flavors of machine learning. Uh, sometimes people think that this system sits there and automatically gets smarter by itself and it can, but you would, you would not actually do that in our world. Um, we like to have a, uh, we call it supervised machine learning versus the unsupervised, but we like to have a person get involved and help continue, uh, to train the system and help the system make the right decisions on getting smarter over time. It would just be like a new employee, uh, that starts since their first day of work. Uh, you're going to spend time training them initially. Um, and as they start doing their job, they're going to get slowly, slowly better, but you're still going to look over their shoulder and they're still going to have a lot of questions and they're still going to get some stuff wrong, but you spend time with them over and over and over again. Um, and then they get really good at it. Um, you would not let that employee just go off on their own and say, okay, great. You did one week of training now. Um, <laughs> never talk to me again. Uh, you're going to get really good at this. Um, so again, I'm getting in the weeds here a little bit about how we work, but there is a bit of a common misconception in machine learning that it's these systems can do anything and everything. And, you know, they, they, uh, they just naturally kind of get smarter on their own without any sort of input. And that's, that's a dangerous assumption in the little world that we live in. We, we prefer to have um, humans help review and guide and suggest with with the machine learning so that you know these are these are mission critical business processes for banks this is really important information i mean these are people's loans we're talking about so you want to make sure you get it right and you want to make sure that you can get them the best loan possible and you know we want to make sure that the systems that are we're using to enable that are are very highly confident in the decisions they're making yeah i think you use the right words mission critical i mean these are you're talking about mortgages when you're even i mean auto loan lending consumer loans other kinds of loans um i mean these are these are mission critical stuff these are highly sensitive for doc documents and then in some cases just that the two different lenders might read the document differently I mean, the information might be the same that's coming out of these tax returns or w2s or pay stuff but they might be analyzing it differently for their underwriting qualification versus somebody else so learning from one lender does not always translate into say making it operational for the other being in the mortgage industry i mean as you uh, everything that you mentioned will happens all the time i uh, i talk about um tech innovations and automations across uh, across the country when i'm doing keynotes at different diff different events and one of the things that i hear from both executives and employees is this pushback for automation and that's what i i wanted to ask you next is that how are some of these clients that you work with are able to drive some of these automations because the, the pushback from employees mostly is that, okay, is this automation going to eat away into my job? I mean, is this a replacement for what we do? Uh, pushback from executives is that, I mean, it takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of money. Is it even worth it? Shouldn't we just get our, our human employees to do something like this? How has Encapture uh, kind of have, have been able to increase its market share uh, in especially within the lending space, especially within mortgage lending space, where there's, I mean, as far as I know, there's a, uh, 
a serious amount of pushback from all levels of employees? Yeah, it's a good question. It's something we get a lot. Uh, I would say there's, you know, we're not the, there's a, this common misconception that we're going to come in and, you know, there's, there's 30 good, hardworking people who are in a job and we're going to take it down to four people. <laughs> um, you know, like that's kind of, and again, that's kind of the, um, and even executives believe that too. And again, we yeah. have to be a little bit careful. Typically what's going on is you need 30 people. You have, you know, you have 16, you have 14 job recs open. You're having your strike, especially in this environment, this labor environment, you're, you're struggling mm-hmm. to hire people mm-hmm. to actually fill the seats. And so your, your existing employees are very much overworked. They're stressed. They, they have too much um, on their plate. They, you know, cause this is not the only thing some of them are doing that kind yes. of the, the, the document processing, they have other kind of higher value things that they do. And, um, and, and so, you know, loans are taking a long time to get processed mostly because of that. So a lot of times when we're coming in the, the business case, and this is something that we do that, that uh, is very important to us in the sales processes. We're not here to, you know, shove our system down your throat. We're here to educate you on how this works and then help you build a business case for our platform. Um, if we can't build a business case with you, or we can't build a compelling business case, then we actually disqualify the opportunity and say, hey, look, this is just not a good fit. Um, so a lot of times it's it's getting down into the the nuts and bolts of okay, how does your business process work today? Who do you really who do you have? What are these people actually doing? And when you talk to these people, there's very much frustration and and strong emotion about uh, you know having to sit here and kind of do manual data entry all day every day or track down missing documents or always just always feeling overwhelmed and stressed. And so we can alleviate, we can alleviate a lot of the pain there. Um, even in situations where maybe the team is fully staffed and, you know, we feel like we can help that team become more efficient. There's plenty of other opportunities in the organization for those people to add value and to be used. So, you know, very rarely, unless, you know, a bank's using like a third-party contractor, very rarely do we come in and a lot of folks get fired, you know, because automation comes in. So, so that's a great question. Um, and, and that's something that we, we speak to a lot in the process. I think the executives, you know, question around this, how do we know this stuff works? This is yeah. expensive. This is going to take a long time. One of our biggest challenges in our sales process today is uh, talking to banks or lenders who have already tried this and they failed. And there's a really high failure rate in our world on this. There's a, there's, you know, there's a lot of people who claim to do what we do and um, they can do it, you know, to some varying degree of success, but uh, you know uh, they get in and, and, and don't do a good job, don't meet their customers needs, or they just can't, they can't out flat out perform. And so we have a lot of pushback. Hey, we know this, you know, and an executive would say, I know that this is good for my business. I know I need this, but I've tried this once. I've tried this twice. I've spent a lot of money on this. Like, how do I know you guys are, you know, you guys are the ones that are actually going to do it right. And so a lot of that is building trust through the process um, and showing them what we do today for other uh, lenders, kind of similar use cases, uh, lenders of their size. Um, referrals are a big, big part of, of, of our process. Sure. Um, you know, me getting involved is a big thing. So, uh, you know, the, the, the time and money, we have to make it, we have to help them build a business case. And again, that's where taking, you know, circling back to my background and skill set, uh, you know, building out kind of a, an, an ROI model 
an Excel ROI model was one of the first mm-hmm. things we did as we started this, this process up was, okay, let me show you, this is the number of people you have. This is how much they cost you. This is how much time it's taking them to, uh, you know, do these certain tasks. Here are the tasks that we can either eliminate or vastly streamline based on benchmark data we have from other customers. Um, here's the time savings, here's the cost savings, and really lay it out there in a very clear numbers-based format so that when, you know, the CFO ultimately has to sign off on yes, this, uh, they're very much a numbers a numbers person as well. And so we can speak the same language. So long answer there, but, um, you know, we, we try to be very transparent on what we do well, what we don't do well. Uh, we, we really build trust through the process and the trust is people-based. Uh, I think one thing that software CEOs or founders um, miss is they think, oh, well, if I just have a great product, yeah. people will buy it. And you do have to have, you do have to have a great product, but you also have to uh, hit on the emotional side of the buying process, which is, can I trust this company? Can I trust, you know, can I trust the people behind the product that if something goes wrong, they're here to help me, they're here to support me. Um, are these the type of folks I even want to work with going forward? Yeah. And um, so that's a big part of our process is making sure that there's a good fit culturally, not just not just the product. Now, that's a great answer for anyone uh, who is currently running a SaaS company or thinking of running one. That's uh, the one thing which is very different than, than usually here is the fact that do I even want to work with this company? If, if you think that the adoption won't be high or won't be in a way that you want it, then it will be another failure on their list. Just and not something that you want, even though you can get them as a client, lock them into a contract for 12 months, 24 months, or eventually, uh, I mean, it will be a lose-lose scenario and something where you probably need to take a call and not move forward with that specific client. Um, well, we, I know we are, we are getting, getting, getting close to uh, our time here. One, one last question. We, um, um, I mean, everything that I see, I don't think we have very strong recessionary fears right now. The, uh, the economy still seems strong. The labor market still is 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 uh, is very hot. Even though some of the newest startups have have uh, let go of people and everything else, but let's say we get into that environment in say a couple of quarters or or in a year or so. Uh, in a slow market, where do you see the value of automation? Like, should companies still be pursuing that, or should they be focused on something something else? Do you see? Um, products that in capture offers uh, could potentially have a problem selling because again, same thing. I mean, CEOs and CFOs saying, let's focus on something else that gives us immediate revenue versus, or or gives us immediate cost cutting versus looking at automation where the ROI could take say 24 to 36 months, if not longer. Uh, how do you position yourself? Or I mean, hopefully, I mean, you haven't had to do that yet because of course, last three, four years have been uh, strong for most businesses. Uh, other than businesses impacted by COVID, but let's let's talk about what happens in that scenario first. Uh, what's your what's just your advice uh, from from where you come? Because you see a lot of companies companies adopting this. What would be would would be your advice if if we do get into say recession? If we do get into uh, lower consumer demand, should companies be still be focusing on this, or should they be focusing on something else? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, we've actually been having this, I've been having this conversation a lot with, with um, C-level folks at these different banks and lenders. I can tell you that in, in our space, there is still a strong desire to put automation in place now. Um, even, you know, 
even let's just so let's talk about mortgage companies in general with interest rates going up over the last several quarters all the mortgage refinancings that have happened over the last three years have largely dried up. And so you have a lot of mortgage lenders who their business has, has dramatically fallen off. The way they look at it is, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm investing in this automation platform. Now Uh, this will allow me to, you know, be more efficient and cut some costs now. And thankfully we're not in a 24 to 36 month ROI. We're typically in a, in a four to 10 month ROI, uh, window. So it uh, once we get it up and running, it can actually start uh, helping pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, but the you know the incremental the incremental uh, cost of of working with us relative to you know maybe the the resources you have today um, is is small. And then two, you know, we will cycle out of this at some point. And so, do you want to mm-hmm. be? And a lot of again, a lot of lenders are very fresh on this fear and this pain of struggling to hire uh, folks over the last several years. So maybe they're not hiring right now, or maybe they've even let some folks go, but they don't want to be in this spot again. And one of the value propositions of automation is that we can come in and say, hey, as your uh, loan volumes rise again, whenever that is, six months from now, two years from now, you're not going to have to staff up as hard and as fast as you did in this in this last cycle. So Really, the automation play is about getting kind of a more fixed cost structure in place that is a really strong foundation that can scale up, scale down um, very quickly relative to having to hire people. And that seems to that that that's how a lot of um, these these executives are thinking about their businesses. They're also realizing that in any sort of economic uncertainty, there's kind of a general, um, you know, it's almost this innate psychological uh, condition where we just kind of shut down and we said, well, we're just not going to do anything new, or we're just going to kind of hunker down through this process. And we're seeing a little bit of that, but a lot, a lot of the, I'll say the more, um, visionary executives we're working with are realizing this is a big opportunity to, um, re kind of reposition themselves from an internal resource and process perspective to be able to come out of this a lot stronger and a lot faster than some of their peers. So that's, that's the conversations we're having. Uh, and you know anybody that's that's you know selling automation technology or that has a service that is kind of an efficiency play, uh, it you know I would encourage you to to kind of help your buyer think through the implications of not doing this right now, as well. Given that at some point you know things will turn. Very well said. I mean that's that's a that's a really good answer. Is that you are not. You're hopefully not running a three-month business. You're running a three-year business, and you need to be looking out. and And every every kind of cycle cycles out. So you have to you have to think like that because otherwise, if you're thinking and all you're thinking is the next three months, then then you will lose market share when when you do cycle out and and come out of it. So um, so really great great feedback on that. That ladies and gentlemen was Will Robinson. You can connect with him. Uh, and follow him on LinkedIn. His company in Capture is in Capture.com. Um, thank you so much, Abil. It was I really enjoyed our conversation, and uh, hope to talk to you soon. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on, Shashank. I I really enjoyed it, and uh, look forward to visiting again. Thank you for tuning into another episode of Shashank Redemption with your host Shashank Shekhar. Be sure to follow, subscribe, and review us check out shashankredemption.com to connect with me.